questions, that's it. If you have a Bible, like I said, open it to John 21, chapter 21 in John. Uh, we've been talking about the resurrection of Jesus at this point in the Gospels. He has been resurrected. And last week we talked about what John calls the purpose of the book, which seems like kind of a natural place to, to end, right? The little nice, this is why I wrote this book, the end. But John still goes on, it seems. And so uh, we're going into this next chapter in chapter 21 where John appears to some of his disciples and speaks to Peter specifically. We're going to read John 21, verses 15 through 19. And uh, we'll put that up on the screen for you as well if you don't have a Bible. So John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. We are in the last chapter of John. We are wrapping up. We're not really wrapping up, but we are concluding our series in John. And as Ed was saying... And what we really talked about last week, uh, it feels like the Gospel of John should be over at this point. Uh, at the end of chapter 20, John says, okay, this is the purpose, and it's what Ed preached on last week. The purpose is that you would believe. And we're like, awesome, great, I get that. And we would prefer, really, for the purpose to end there. That I, I can believe and I can have faith in Jesus. And, and scripture tells me that is what I need for salvation. And salvation is the greatest thing I need. And so let's just stop there. But just like a movie that goes on for too long, John keeps going in his gospel. Uh, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know what I'm talking about, right? In that third movie, I mean, that, that is an epic trilogy. Awesome movies. But the third movie, you get towards the end, and if you haven't seen it, I'm just going to go ahead and ruin it for you because it's been out since I was in high school. They get to the end, and, and they throw the ring in the mountain, right? And you're like, yes, good guys win. That's it. Let's end this thing. And you think it's done. And then there's another scene. And they kind of like wrap up the story, and, and all this stuff happens and everything. And you're like, okay, that's done. That's great. And then there's another scene. And then there's another scene and another scene. And before long, you're just like, when are we going to end? Like, I was like so ready like four scenes ago for this thing to be done. It's kind of ruining the experience. And you know that they were like in a meeting. They were talking about this. And you're like, but this thing's been so big. We can't just end it there. We got to do this thing and we got to do that thing. I'm not saying John's like that, but it's kind of like that, right? He says, here's a purpose. And then he goes on. And it's like, come on, man. Like, we were good. Jesus is risen. We can believe. Let's move on. 
But John seems to understand that as much as we need to believe in Jesus, there's something else we need, and that is we need to know what finds out the, what we need to find out and we need to know what happens to Peter. That there's something about Peter and there's something about his life and there's something about us that John says this is important for you to know as well. And so really the last chapter of John, as much as anything, if it's about Jesus, it's as much about Peter. And so we're going to look at and we're going to talk about Peter's life. When chapter 21 starts, we find that Peter has been out fishing. He's actually taken some of the disciples with him. They've seen Jesus. They've talked to Jesus. And yet there's something in Peter going on that Peter seems to have abandoned the ministry altogether. He gets a group of disciples with him and he says, let's go fishing. I don't think you have to work very hard or think about it too much to kind of put yourself in Peter's place and think, man, if I was Peter and what had happened between me to him and Jesus happened with me, I would have some pretty strong feelings going on. If you had denied Jesus three separate times, there would probably be some feelings of inadequacy, guilt. You just feel weak. Maybe for the first time ever in his life, Peter is out there fishing because he's doubting his own abilities, his own power to do the very thing he wants to do the most. We get this picture of Peter, we see him in a place, and it's not the guy that we've been accustomed to throughout this gospel, right? That Peter has been the guy, if if there's anybody in the 12 disciples, he's been the guy that likes to overestimate himself. And underestimate temptation, right? Like, uh, Peter says stuff, and you're like, ah, oh, man, I wouldn't go that far and be that secure about it, right? But Peter does. Peter is the guy that thinks he is more committed to Jesus than he actually is. Peter's the guy that thinks he can overcome trials pretty easily. And then he finds out, just a few days before this, he actually can't, right? That's where we find Peter at. Full disclosure, when I was younger, I know that's a big statement, I've got a lot of years, so like think way back. When I was younger, I used to be really annoyed with Peter. I did not like Peter that much. Peter was, to me, overconfident. He was brash, he was arrogant. Uh, Peter liked to put his foot in his mouth. I didn't really have time for Peter. The guy that I like and I identify with is Paul. Paul is well thought out thought out. He's articulate. He's learned it. He writes these amazing letters, and and the thought and the depth of his thinking is is so good. And and so I I would see Peter in the Gospels, and all the way Peter's screwing up, and and how Peter thinks he's something he's not. It's like, man, I don't have time for your shenanigans. Like, I really did not like Peter. But the thing I found in my life as I get older, and the more time I have to live, is the more and more I can identify with Peter the more and more I come to appreciate him. Not because I I don't think any of those things are untrue about Peter, that he is kind of a hothead. He says things. He sticks his foot in his mouth. He does all this stuff. He overestimates his own abilities. It's because I start to see, hey, that's like me. That Peter has failures in his life, and guess what? I do as well. I think all of us, the longer we live, the more we can look at Peter and we're like, yep, been there, done that, right? I think another way that we can identify with Peter is what John is showing us is a guy in this moment that he's out there fishing that is just broken. 
And we have all had broken places in our life. And what's more is we will all come to other broken places in our life. And so I, I think the reason why, if I had to guess, John says you need to know what happens to Peter is because he had a pretty dramatic fall. And he says we've all been there, we all will be there, and we need to know what happens because Peter gives us a picture of how Jesus comes to broken people. And how in even the midst of their brokenness, he places a calling on their life. And as broken as Peter has gone back to the very thing Jesus first called him from. Jesus comes along and he finds Peter fishing, right? And he says, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. You're still going to fish, but you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people. And Jesus comes back, and what's he find Peter doing? Fishing for fish. So he has this conversation with Peter, and in this conversation he asks him some questions. But what we find at the very end in verse 19 is all of these questions, all of this stuff, is Jesus talking to Peter about and showing him what it looks like and what it means to truly answer the call that Jesus places on all of our lives, and that is to follow him. And what I want to talk about this morning is basically for the first half of the sermon is I just want to talk about this calling to follow him. And we're going to look at the questions and the commands that Jesus is giving to Peter. And we want to talk about, first and foremost, why this is hard. And it's not hard because of all the reasons why we normally think it's hard. Because of what we think it entails and what it looks like and, and sacrifice and all these things. But actually what we find out and what we realize deep inside of us is when Jesus calls us to these things, when he's asking us these questions, it's really hard because of us. It's hard because of what we know of ourselves and what we think we are like and what we're about and what we need. And Jesus is here with Peter trying to strip back a lot of that. And it's something that I think all of us, no matter where we're at this morning, need to hear. And, and so in this discussion, they sit down to breakfast, right? Jesus has revealed himself to him, like, and the disciples realizing that it's Jesus. Peter is so excited, he jumps out of the boat, he, he swims to shore ahead of everybody else. I don't know if he actually got there faster, but he felt like it was the thing to do. And the next thing we know, they're, they're sitting down to breakfast, and I don't know if there was small talk before this, and then they got into deeper stuff, or if Jesus just started off, and he was like, this is what I'm here to talk to you guys about. But he asks Peter this question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He asked it actually three times, but the first time he adds something on there that he doesn't repeat again. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's some discussion about like what Jesus is referring to here. Is he looking at the other disciples that are there with him, and he's like, hey, Peter, I just want to know, like, do you love me more than these other guys? Which seems like a really awkward thing to say in front of the people, right? Like, that's where you like, take them aside, and you're like, hey, man, I just kind of want to know. What do you think about these other dudes? Are they for real or what? You know? No, I don't think that's what he's talking about, because that's pretty low-hanging fruit. Everybody deserted Jesus, so it's pretty easy to say, yeah, I think I do love you, as much, at least, or more. I think what Jesus is pointing at and what he's talking about, he's looking at the fish, he's looking at the boats, he's looking at the fishing nets, and he says, okay, Peter, I found you back to where we started. So the question is, do you love me more than all of this? Do you love me more than your previous life? 
Do you love me more than what you had? And do you love me more than what you can have through it? That's the thing, right? If we believe in Jesus and we start to follow him, we find out at some point it's a difficult thing. It's a hard thing to follow Jesus. And there's always the temptation to stop short or even go back. Why? Because our old life is sitting right there. And we know what that looks like. We know how easy it is. What's more is we're good at it a lot of times. Jesus, the first two questions, he asked Peter, he says, do you love me? And the word that he uses in the Greek is agapao. And this is where we get, if you've ever heard of the term agape love, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me, agape? And and, and agape is a word that when it's used in the Greek, when it's used in the New Testament, it is always in reference to God's love for us, to divine love. It is a love that is pure. It is a love that is singularly, singularly focused. Solely on the one it's intended for. That when God looks at us and he says, I love you, agape, he's saying, I love you as if there was nothing else. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me as much as I love you? Because this is what love looks like. And for the first time in Peter's life, I think he is doubting himself. But even more, he is beginning to see himself clearly. He is realizing how conflicted he possibly is because his response is, Lord, you know I love you. But the word he uses is not agape, it's phileo. And phileo is another word for love. We have one word in English, right? One word to describe everything you could possibly mean by love. And the great thing about the Greek language is it has multiple words. So where I say I love my wife, I love my dog, I love my car, right? That all, like, you're just supposed to understand, like, what order those things are in. And I'll leave you to figure that out. But instead, the word phileo, instead of divine love, it is a brotherly love. It's a cordial love. It's where we get the name of the city, Philadelphia. And so Peter is essentially saying to Jesus, well, yeah, I love you, you know I love you, but I don't know if I love you that much. Because Peter realizes what we all know, and that is life has a way of showing us over time what we are really about and how conflicted we are. Peter is seeing, actually understanding, beginning to understand how hard the call to love Jesus truly is. That he wants to love Jesus, and yet all he can see, all he can think about, all he's looking at is all the ways he could actually screw it up, right? We know what this is like. We know that there are things in our lives that we take seriously, that we want to be good at, that we want to do well. And usually, when we hold those things up, things like being a spouse, a parent, all of those different places, monikers that we hold, callings on our life... We look at it, and if we really care deeply about them, most of the time, all we can think about is all the ways that we could possibly screw it up, right? And so Peter says, yeah, I, I love you, and yet I know, like, recent history has shown me that I'm, like, I don't know if I love you that much. I don't know if I love you as much as I want to love you. 
And we know the conflict in our lives of, of wanting to do what is right, knowing what is right, and yet finding it so hard to live out, right? Paul talked about this in the letter that he wrote to the Roman church. There in 7:15 through 20, it's this amazing passage. In the middle of those verses, he says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. The call to love Jesus is difficult because we know how conflicted we are. We know that there are other things in our life that we look at and we care about deeply. And if our life in Christ comes up against those, we're worried about what might win out. We know all of the ways we can screw it up. And so it's difficult for us to say, yeah, Christ, I love you the way you love me. What's amazing about this interaction, though, is at the same time that Peter is doubting himself, he's doubting his ability to love Jesus, to follow him the way that he wants to follow him. Jesus doesn't stop. He's not like, okay, man, well, let's figure this out. Let's work on this. Let's get you to a place where you love me this way. He just keeps going, and he immediately calls Peter. As soon as Peter basically says, hey, I don't love you maybe as much as you love me, he says, okay, that's fine. Go feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. And then he wraps it all up there at the very end where he tells him, he says, when you were younger, you got to do what you wanted to do, go where you wanted to go. When you're older, you're not going to get to do that anymore. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to give up. Jesus is calling Peter to give up his life, the very thing he was not willing to do when he denied him. At the same moment that Peter's like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's me. I feel inadequate. I feel weak. I want to, but I don't know if it's in the cards. Christ looks at Peter and he says, I'm not just asking you to care about people and things you necessarily wouldn't. I'm not asking you to add them into the equation. But what actually I'm asking you in this call that he's giving Peter to feed his sheep and to take care of his lambs. He says, I, I want you to actually put them in front of you. I, I want them to come first in your life. I want that to be the main concern that you have to, above yourself. This whole thing where you're fishing and you're going back to what you know and what's comfortable and, and all that stuff. It's not what I want for you. Because essentially what Peter is doing is what we, all, what we know all too well about in our culture today because people won't stop talking about it. Peter is trying to find himself, right? Peter has gone back to the thing that makes him feel comfortable. The thing, the place where it started. He says, let's just get back to the foundation and let's figure this stuff out. Basically, Peter, I think, has to be out on that boat and he's like, let's figure out me. I need to find myself. And I think truthfully, if we didn't have Jesus' interaction, we found out that this was what Peter's doing. We're like, yeah, that's a good first step. Peter, you screwed up, man. It's time to sit out a few plays, figure your stuff out, and then maybe we can get you back into the game, right? Jesus comes along and says, what are you doing? Why are you not out there? But for us, finding ourselves is comfortable. It's actually really rewarding. And it seems necessary to us, doesn't it? Because it's the thing that we're told every time we get into a plane before we take off, right? In case of emergency, if everybody's around you dying, 
take care of yourself first so that way you can help other people, right? Makes sense. Really logical. How can you put somebody else's mask on if you're passed out? But what Jesus is showing Peter and he's showing us is that's not the way the kingdom of God is set up. But we hear that, and I don't know if we realize just truly how differently we think about those sorts of things. There was a, um, a sociologist, his name was uh, Abraham Maslow. If you're in the uh, education realm, you know that name. Uh, in 1943, he came up with a theory uh, called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. This is what it looks like. It's usually represented as a pyramid. His idea was that all humans have basic needs that, get, that need to get met. And once they meet those needs, they move on to greater needs that if the lesser ones are not met, they can't possibly get to. And the point is to meet your needs to get to the pinnacle, to get to the peak. And so what he said was is the basic needs that everybody needs are physiological. And so this is stuff like food, water, sleep. Stuff, if you don't get it, you're going to physically just die. He said, so once you take care of that, you can move on to the next set of needs, and that's safety. And so we know that that is a big compeller in a lot of our lives. What makes us safe? What makes us comfortable? He said, once those needs of safety are met, you can move on. And you go on up, and you go to love and relationships. And when you feel safe, you can open yourself up to be vulnerable to other people and all that kind of stuff. And then he goes on to esteem, and we want people to think well of us. And when those needs are met then you can finally get to the pinnacle. And the pinnacle is what he called self-actualization. And the idea behind self-actualization, and we call it by a whole lot of other names, finding yourself, living your best life, being true to yourself, all these sorts of things. It says when you get to self-actualization, that is the place where you become independent. You don't need anyone else. You know your full potential. You can increase your potential. You can find peace and joy. And uh, uh, really, and it kind of went into other things, but it was primarily meant to be the sociological study of figuring out, okay, how can we help people meet the needs that they're trying to work towards in their life? It, it's a really good model for education. If you're in the education realm, if you, if you do this and, and adhere to this, it does help. It has good aspects. I'm not here to blow it up or say it's like the worst thing ever or evil or anything like that. The problem is, it's not scriptural. While it can help us understand what compels a lot of people, it can help us understand how better to help them in realms like education, it is not meant for us to live our lives by. Because the greatest need, what scripture tells us, isn't physiological. It's spiritual. When he was in the desert and being tempted, Satan came along to Jesus and he said, hey, turn these stones into bread so that you can eat, right? Basic need. If you don't have this man, you're going to die. And what does Jesus tell him? He quotes the Old Testament, actually. And he says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The thing you need the most is to know Jesus to love Jesus, and to be like Jesus. 
That is the pinnacle of your life. Not finding yourself, not knowing your ultimate potential, but finding Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul kind of backs this up, the case I'm making, and I like Paul. He said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, physiological needs, the basis, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The foundation of your life is Jesus Christ. And if it's built on anything else, it is not going to work out. But this, this runs so counterintuitive to what we are told. Christ calls Peter. He, he, he tells Peter, he says, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You got to choose where you were going. When you're older, you won't get to do that. And to us, we're like, what are you talking about, man? Because everything we are told, because of how influenced we are by this hierarchy of needs, is this thought that we have to build ourselves, reach this point where we truly know ourselves. And then once we know ourselves, we will be independent. We'll be able to do whatever we want to do. Nobody will be calling the shots, right? Jesus is saying that maturity according to him, looks really different than what we think it looks like. We think that to be mature means to be self-confident and to be independent and not need anyone or anything. But Henry Nouwen talking about this said, Jesus has a different view of maturity. According to Jesus, it is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. Jesus, we are taught by our world to ascend, to keep climbing, to keep bettering ourselves. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm calling you to descend. I'm calling you to do the complete opposite. But we don't naturally think this way. Whether we do it early in life or we put it off until later, we have all been taught that the greatest thing we can do is find ourselves so that we can maximize our potential and be independent. For some of us, we do it in our teens and our 20s, and we say, if I, I, I got to get this right before I can go out and I can help other people or I can do anything. For, the, for others of us, we put it off, and that's what retirement is to us, right? I remember when I was in school and I was just so tired of always being told what to do and I had to do homework I didn't want to do and everything like that, right? I could not wait to get out of school to be able to do what I wanted to do. And then I realized I get out and I have a job and then I have a boss. And so I don't get to do what I want to do. And so now I'm really looking forward to retirement because I've got a boss where I really don't want to do what he wants me to do. In our minds, the way our lives work are we are dependent when we are young, when we are children. And our goal is always to get our lives, our worlds, our financial states, our, our own just view of ourselves to such a place where we don't need anyone or anything. And that to us speaks of maturity. That speaks of growth. That is the goal for us. And Jesus says it is not that way at all. But because it is so deeply ingrained in us, we spend our entire lives looking 
for ourselves. I don't know if you guys saw um, in the news this week, but uh, there was a, a woman that was missing, and she's been found. Uh, this, is the, uh, this is the news story, and I'll just read it to you real quick. Uh, it says, a group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near one of Iceland's canyons, only to find her among the search party. It gets better. Hang on. The group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near a volcanic canyon. Soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman, who had changed clothes, didn't recognize the description of herself and joined in the search. But the search was called off at about 3 a.m. when it became clear the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. You can laugh. That's funny. Like, that's... That is really funny. Um, I think to me, there's a few things about this. Uh, this uh, one was the great thing was is I was actually in Ed's office talking to him about the sermon, and he gets a message from a friend of his showing him this article, and I was like, I, I'm going to use that in my sermon. And so, um, but this is like really an example of terrible journalism because they don't even answer the most important question, and the most important question of this whole thing is. How long did she realize that they were looking for her before she told people they were looking for her, right? Like, I mean, at what point are you like, oh, man, this is embarrassing. How long do I go with this thing, right? Uh, like, that, like, I think you could tell a lot about yourself, like how long you would let a search party go on knowing they were searching for you, like, and you're part of the search party. But, um, but I wonder, as funny as this is, is this how we look to God? Does he look down at us, and this is many of our lives. That we devote our lives because of how we're brought up, what we're taught, the, the way our culture is structured. That the best version of ourself is the greatest thing we can achieve. And so we devote our lives to finding that better version of ourselves. We take classes, we listen to lectures, we attend discussions, we read books. All with the goal of being a better person, both for ourselves and even those around us sometimes. And even a lot of times when we come to that thing that John said was the purpose, we come to belief in Jesus. We then just start reading Christian books and listening to Christian sermons and going to growth groups and listening to Christian podcasts. That even though we believe, the search still remains. And all the while, Jesus is standing there saying, stop looking. You've already been found. It is hard to answer the call to love Jesus and to take care of his sheep and his people and and to go where we don't want to go. Simply because it is fundamentally hard for us to believe what God says about us. That God could look at you where you are right now and he could say, you are my child. And you just believe that. That someone like Paul could write a letter to the church in Ephesus and address it to the saints. And they believe that.
It's hard to believe what God says about us and who we are. Because we know our inadequacies. We know our failures. We know the conflict in ourselves. And so we think, like Peter is right here, that given the choice between feeding ourselves, finding ourselves, and taking care of others, then we need to work on ourselves first. We need to get ourselves in a better place. And oftentimes in our life, that is the only place that we ever work on, is us. This is a hard call to answer because we know too much about ourselves. But in the same way, the thing I love about Jesus is in in the same moment that he is showing us and talking to Peter here about why this is hard and why it's difficult, and he's pointing out all these things in this interaction with Peter, he's also showing why it's worth it. That God never calls us to anything that is difficult for any other reason than it's worth it. And what we see, the re- I, I think just to like try to sum it up in, in the most simplest way possible, the reason it's worth it is the change that Peter needs in his life and the change that we see going on. And it's a change that we all need. The first change that, that Jesus brings about in Peter's life is he just simply simplifies Peter's life. The first two times that Jesus asked him, he says, you know, do you love me? Peter answers, he says, you know I love you. Basically, Peter is still pointing at himself and his own abilities, and that's why he uses that word phileo. He, he's leaning on himself. And, and so he knows his failures, and he's like, I, you know I want to love you, and I, and I want to love you agape style, but I don't know if I can do that. So he uses this word phileo, right? And, and he kind of waters it down a little bit. But then there's the third time, this third response. Jesus asked him again, and what does Peter say? He actually adds something in there. Peter, first and foremost, he says, Lord, you know everything. And then he tells him, you know that I love you. And what we see here is a change in Peter's life where he is beginning to lean on the ability of Jesus and not his own ability. Jesus is asking him, do you love me enough to trust me? That Peter needs to stop relying on his own abilities and start relying on the abilities of Jesus. That he needs to shift from sizing up himself and constantly evaluating everything about him and what God is calling him to do and start looking simply to Jesus. But we can do this, right? When God calls us to things, we look at it and we're like, I know all the reasons why I can't do it. And Jesus just keeps coming back to us time and time again and just saying, don't worry about that. The only question you need to answer is, do you love me? What we also see going on here and how Jesus simplifies Peter's life is that Jesus for the first time switches the question. He doesn't ask him, do you love me, agape? He he says, do you love me, phileo? And and some people think this is Jesus kind of watering it down and just almost being like, I guess, like, hey, Peter, I just want you to get into this thing, man. So whatever we got to do, let's just get you in there. It's like Ed saying, what do you want me to do? Make you popcorn? Make you Frito boats? Like, let's just get you there, right? That's what Jesus is doing here. And that's not at all what I think is going on. I think this is an amazing picture that Peter says, 
Lord, I cannot live up to what I think I need to be. And so here's where I'm at. And Jesus says, well, we'll work with that. That Jesus meets us constantly where we are. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this. I, I wasn't planning on doing it, but it just fits so well. Um, that I have a huge fear. If, I, if I've told this before, I'm sorry. But I have a huge fear of public speaking. I know people think, like, you're a pastor. There's no possible way. But I was actually, it, I was actually told in college by a professor. Um, he pulled me aside after class one time, and he, he just simply said, he was like, you know, your public speaking, you have a lot of good thoughts, but your public speaking's so bad, nobody knows what in the world you're thinking or wanting to say, and so you need to fix that. And, um, and I was just like, man, I'm going to be a lawyer, and so I don't think I need to do, and okay, whatever. And so I put it off, and then God called me to be a pastor. And then I was like, I don't know how this is going to work, um, because like speaking in front of people is kind of one of the big things you do. And so I went to seminary, and I was so scared of public speaking that I put off my preaching classes for two years, as long as I could. And imagine going to seminary for two years and being like, this could be all a waste of money, because I still don't know if I can get up and talk in front of people, right? And um, I had this friend, and he was pastoring the small country church, and uh, he, he asked me one time, uh, he said, hey, if I'm ever gone and I need somebody to fill in for me, would you be willing to do that? And like a good friend that didn't want their friend down, I lied, and I said, yeah, I'd be willing to do that uh, for you. And I instantly started praying, like, God, keep him in his church for two more years till I get out of seminary. And uh, lo and behold, like two months later, he came to me, and he was like, hey, I, I'm going back home for a week. Uh, would you mind preaching in my church? And it was like a month and a half off. It was too far off for me to be like, no, sorry, I got plans that weekend and stuff. And so I was just like, okay, yeah, sure. And... Um, and so for a month and a half, I freaked out about the sermon. So scared about preaching in front of people for the first time. And uh, we got to the day, and I was still so worried. I'd worked for a month and a half. I don't, like, you should not work for a sermon that, on a sermon that long. But I still felt unprepared. And I was so nervous about it, I, I asked Hannah to drive. And Hannah, Hannah was driving us, and it was like an hour and a half away, and we were pulling off of the freeway on the exit, and it hit me like, we're about to pull into this church, and I'm going to have to talk in front of people, and I don't even know if I can do that. And one of the most sincerest prayers I've ever prayed in my life, and it wasn't from this, but it was just from the heart, I just prayed in that moment. I said, God, I have tried to work my way up to where you are, and I don't even feel close, and so I need you to come and meet me where I am. And the reason it is so worth it to answer this call to love Jesus in ways that we don't think we're capable of is because he will meet us where we are. And we find grace, and we find mercy, and he comes to where we're at and he says, let's go together. Jesus simplifies Peter's life and he says, stop worrying about what you think you can do. Just answer the question, do you love me? He reshapes the failures of Peter's life. Three times he asked Peter. And I think the reason he's doing this is because he is undoing what was done. Peter is letting his sin and his denial of Jesus define his life at this point. And Christ comes along and he says, no longer does that define you, but something else does. Jesus wants you and me to shift from letting our sins define who we are to letting the one we're following define who we are.
So whatever you think defines you, if it's not Jesus, it doesn't. His love does that now. He wants to use what you have done and what has been done to you for the good of other people and for his glory. It is the very reason why Joseph could tell his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Jesus reshapes the failures of our life so that people can know true life. And finally, this, the change that we see going on is that Jesus broadens P- Peter's life. He tells him, he says, you're going to go, you're, you're going to feed my sheep, tend my lambs. You will be led where you don't want to, and essentially it will be good for you. See, this whole thing, this hierarchy of needs, what we think, what we're looking for, we're looking for joy, we're looking for peace. And Jesus is saying, what you're looking for is found in loving me. It's found in following me. And he's telling Peter, you're going to be able to gladly give up your freedom, your independence, and ultimately your life because you have found what matters most. In his discussion about that maturity where I quoted now and talking about how Christ sees maturity as going where you would rather not want to go. He, a little bit later, says, The way of the Christian is not the way of upward mobility in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending on the cross. This might sound morbid and overly cruel, but for those who have heard the voice of Jesus and said yes to it, the downward-moving way of Jesus is the way to the joy and peace of God, a joy and peace that is not of this world. It is worth it for us to answer the call of Jesus. Not because it's some noble thing and we can be glad about what we're doing and how we sacrifice so much, but because of the blessings that he gives us when we do answer the call. That he simplifies our life and he says, simply just love me. Stop worrying about yourself and everything you think you can do or can. And that he reshapes it and he takes the things that have hurt us, that have killed us and that hurt others, and he uses it for his good, his glory, and ultimately life. And we get to see that happen. We get to see that take shape. But that he also broadens it. That he shows us who we're called to, that we are called to all of those, those who know him and those who don't know him, those who have been walking with him for a long time and those who have never even heard the name of Jesus and that we are called to take care of them and think of them first. But that in that, he also broadens our ability to know his joy and his peace and ultimately his life. The call to follow Jesus is one that rings true for everybody. It's so easy, it would be so easy for us to sit here and say, well, this isn't for me because Peter was called to found the church. No, that was what his calling ended up looking like. He was called to follow Christ. You're not going to be called to found the church, but you're called to follow Jesus. And as you sit there and you wrestle with that, and you think about all the hard things he's calling you to do, and you think, I'm not able to love him the way I should love him. I'm not able to feed other people. I need to just take care of myself. Jesus comes back again and again and again and just simply says, do you love me? 
And if you can say yes, that's enough to do what I've called you to do.